0: This is Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidaru series by Star Brigid. Chapter 18 Naufraga Captivare Draco began the brewing of naufragium the next day, once the remaining ingredients arrived in their extensive, careful packaging by owl post. He found the pomegranate seas looked to have completely disappeared inside the tincture, That seemed apropos, given that it was tincture of demi but he wished the book had been more specific on that point. He kept the book with the recipe marked, along with a small station he'd established for safe ingredient storage, and, of course, the cauldron on its stand with magical insulation against any fire spreading. He put on a new pair of black suede gloves, which he planned to use only for this potion. He added three more pomegranate seeds and watched them float in the tincture, which looked the same as when he'd added it. He double-checked the book, but it didn't say that the second had to be left to soak like the first had, so he added octopus powder, typical as a strengthening agent, and turned on the heat, cautiously. he dried the nightshade and niphilus fancy leaves in anticipation of this night, but he had to chop them now. His hands were shaking, whether in new nervousness or just aftershocks of the panic attack Harry had made him have, there was no telling. He forced himself to calm down, telling himself he had all night, if need be. He mixed them, added them to the cauldron once the tincture finally began to steam, and here came the valuable parts. "'He had a spare witch's ganglion, but only one. "'He'd never used one of these before. "'They were more common in Asia, "'and it felt almost sacrilegious to just chuck one in whole, "'but that was what the recipe said, nothing about chopping. "'Then in went the acromantula venom. It said to stir vigorously, "'as the last instruction before boiling it on low for a month. "'He'd have to check it daily.' "'to make sure it hadn't gone off completely, "'and really, the invisibility cloak would have been useful. "'Maybe he should start making more visits to Hagrid "'as a cover to be out here. "'What was wrong with him? "'He had let his attention drift away, "'stirring mechanically with already shaking hands, "'while thinking about something else, "'while making a blood-ritual potion. "'Maybe Severus was right, that he was getting arrogant.' At least the acromantula venom had merged largely with the tincture mixture, and the leaves were dissolving, leaving a murky brown colour with flecks still of bright gold. But the witch's ganglion just sat there, its big blood-red bulb floating on the surface, like someone meant to bob for apples from a dirty barrel. The leaves began to wilt and fall off, but the witch's ganglion didn't even look bothered by the heat, looking like some kind of arctic radish. The recipe hadn't specified how long to stir, but would it go without saying that he should stay and stir until all the ingredients were incorporated, even this? Or would it go without saying that he shouldn't? This was why it would have been better if he could have done this with Severus. In the end, he decided he was not going to allow the entire wizarding world to perish, because he had been too lazy to do some extra stirring, and it took hours, around three to be precise, by which he had gone to alternating, between stirring with the spoon in hand and with his wand guiding it from the air, but eventually the bulb dissolved. Draco put the spare witch's ganglion in the deepest place in his new ingredient storage cabinet. He never wanted to see another one of these bulbs for the whole time he lived. Naufragium had another blessing. It filled in where being banned from divination had given some respite, and made his schedule finally busy enough that he didn't have to think. He had a full course-load, with all the basic classes and his two electives, Ancient Runes and Arithmancy, which he had never studied in the Blue Line. He had to do his own work for them, and assist the inept Harry and Ron with theirs, and sometimes Neville. He had extra potions lessons with Severus for three hours every Sunday. He started up playing football again with Dean, Seamus and Hermione when it was warmer. He and Hermione checked on the Wolfsbane potion daily. He checked on the naufragium daily. He gave Harry his weekly duelling lessons for hours on Monday nights, having been wheedled into continuing them despite his misgivings. He took daily baths in angel's infusion and brewed valerian tea daily for his anxiety. He studied and re studied his invisible ink notebooks. He visited the kitchens daily to read the Quibbler cover to cover with Dobby and Luna, played wizard's chess with Ron, brainstormed about the Talon Wand with Theo while they waited for letters, and he never allowed himself to think past the task immediately before him, trusting exhaustion to do the work of that for him. Except for a half hour every night, in that half hour he let himself think of whatever he wanted, and inevitably locked inside his sound-proofed bed curtains. His mind only ever went to one person, one with very green eyes. But no fantasy could compare to the reality of the elation he felt when he and Hermione finished the next batch of wolfsbane at the end of the month, and it was, by all appearances, perfect. Hermione counselled caution until Remus had tested it, but Draco wanted to hang from the rafters and scream to the heavens that they'd done it. He'd seen Severus brew enough successful batches to know the look of one, and so it proved to be, as Harry passed a message on weeks later that Remus had taken it for a week before the full moon and been able to curl up peacefully during his transformation and sleep like a baby. "'See?' Draco thought viciously towards whatever cruel entity governed his fate, a power that in his mind usually tended to look like the mirror he had fallen through into the red line. See, I don't fail at everything, do I? He failed at keeping the Naufragium secret. He was so close, so damn close to making it the full month undetected with the aid of the Marauder's map but he always had to go late on Sunday nights, with extra potions stretching particularly late that night, after Draco had spoiled two batches of veritas serum. Sometimes, Draco found to his peril, he found himself getting some of the many potions he was working on confused with each other. He couldn't let that happen with the Nelfragium. That was the one that would have Harry Potter's blood in it, if he could manage it. Harry had been pressing him to work on offensive spells and to have more than very tame practice deals ever since their first session, the Protego Diabolica fiasco notwithstanding. The problem was, Harry didn't see it as a fiasco and sometimes spoke of it as the coolest thing he had ever seen. But in this, Harry's willingness to wade blindly into danger would serve Draco well. He planned out a lesson with Iverte Statum, "depulso," Pulso, and, most importantly, De Findo, if he couldn't get Harry slammed enough in the face to make him bleed without outright cutting him. He had that lesson in his mind, and didn't look at the Marauder's Map properly, that one solitary trip from the dungeons to the Shrieking Shack, and that was his undoing. Draco tapped on the Weeping Willow to open it, "'and only once the cavernous tunnel had opened before him "'did a voice say behind him, "'Where does that go to?' "'He knew the voice, "'and that kept him from drawing his wand as he whirled around. "'It did not, however, keep him from falling over his own feet. "'He might be overworking himself. "'Or maybe it was just the sight of Luna "'standing there holding a lantern, "'the least stealthy operative imaginable, "'with her long, bright hair loose.' and small frame dwarfed in a very bright pink coat. She gave him a hand up, and Draco glanced nervously between her and the entrance. It would be one thing if she hadn't seen what he'd done to open it, but she'd seen the procedure and the passage. She could come back without him whenever she wanted to see. There might be locking or warding charms he could use to hold her off. Draco didn't know the magic of the shrieking shack nor were those a particular speciality of his. Could he think of a lie to throw her off? Was he about to have to obliviate his own cousin? Draco? Luna said, squeezing his hand. I didn't mean to scare you. Whatever it is, I won't tell anyone, I promise. Harry had trusted Draco enough to walk through fire. Draco would never have put that amount of trust in Harry back if only because he didn't trust himself around Harry. And he would have thought he could put complete trust in Hermione, but not in this. She was just too tied to Harry to take it on faith that Draco had to make a potion with blood magic and feed it to him unknowing to save him from the Dark Lord kidnapping him by portkey. She wanted explanations of everything and her loyalties were always divided. But Luna, could he trust Luna with this? He might not have a choice. He could bring her in as co-conspirator, swear or guilt or menace her into secrecy or obliviate her. Somehow, Draco found himself picking the first of those options. It was like he didn't even know himself anymore. Okay, Luna, you caught me. You want to see something? She nodded excitedly holding her lantern higher, and Draco understood. This was just another little adventure to her, like when she'd been Draco's second in a duel and wait. He always thought about trying not to corrupt Luna. Was he really about to involve her in blood magic? Maybe he could just tell her what it was and she'd agree to leave it alone. How did you catch me? I was waiting for you outside Severus's chambers, Luna said. Even though it's late, because I wanted to ask you about something. But you walked out looking very powerful and mysterious, so I followed you. And Draco hadn't looked behind himself or at the Marauder's Map once. Luna wasn't exactly an easy sight to miss. Come inside, then. It's safe, Draco sighed wearily and led her into the tunnel to the Shrieking Shack. She'd heard the stories behind its so-called haunting by now, so she was completely unafraid as they followed her light down the tunnel. He remembered Uncle Sirius having shown Severus this way, in that awful memory, and reminded himself that he wasn't necessarily leading Luna into peril, well, not that much peril. "'What's this?' Luna cried out, homing in over the bubbling cauldron instantly and ran over to kneel beside it. Draco gestured not to touch it, and she braced her hands on her knees, gazing into the murky depths of it. Don't breathe it in, Draco instructed, and thought of conjuring another chair for her, but then was too tired, and sat down beside her on the floor. Seriously, it's it's a really dangerous potion. Oh no, Luna said happily. Could it kill us, do you think? I don't know, said Draco, trying to get that absolute elation out of her voice. He knew she idolised him, but she would be better off not trusting him to this much. Someone needed to sit Harry and Luna down and give them an intervention about that. But it's dark magic, Luna, blood magic, from this book, he said and she looked utterly charmed by most dark blood rituals of the demon goddess Hecate. He supposed this was the girl who had gotten him manifestos of the great Gellert Grindelwald for Christmas. He hoped she hadn't been picking up an interest in dark magic, trying to be just like her favourite cousin. Although it was narcissistic to take all the credit. Tom Riddle had spent a year with her first, Maybe Luna was so steeped in dark magic. The best Draco could do was show her how to use it properly. Not that he was particularly good at that either. He could show her what not to do. Phragium, she read, and he was pleased to hear her pronounce it Nauphragium, the way he always had in his head. It was a sign of how out on a limb Draco was here, "'that he was making a blood-magic potion whose name he couldn't pronounce. "'She read over the rest of the page, "'as Draco lit up more candles he'd left in the shack, "'dark red cinnamon-scented ones, "'whose mail-order catalogue had boasted "'that their presence helped keep potions boiling steady for longer. "'It was probably a crock, but at least they smelled pleasant. "'Draco, why do you need this?' Draco leaned his back against the shoddy shack wall, and she leaned hers back beside him, content to be his little twin in everything. That gave him the nerve to admit, "'It's for Harry, OK. "'I'm worried that Karkaroff is planning to try and kidnap him "'on the day of the tournament final. "'Lucky he had him to use as the scapegoat "'instead of naming Fake Moody. its "'It's not one thing in particular.' "'I've been on the damn ship. "'I've spoken about Karkaroff with Crumb, with Severus, with my father. "'I think Karkaroff put Harry's name in the goblet to set up a kidnapping, "'to take him to the Dark Lord. "'His dark mark's been getting darker. "'That means the Dark Lord is getting stronger.' "'Draco suddenly remembered Luna had a rather personal relationship with the Dark Lord.' but her face hadn't changed at that. She seemed able to separate Voldemort and Tom Riddle in her mind. "'Luna, I just, I think it's going to happen, and if we give this to Harry, no one will be able to take him away from Hogwarts for days. I know it's psychotic for me to do this, but—' "'No,' Luna said, frowning. "'If this can keep Harry from being taken away, Draco, then you're right to be doing it.' "'And I'm not just saying that because you're my favourite cousin.' "'It's blood magic,' Draco reminded her. "'Dark, dangerous blood magic that I'm totally unqualified for.' "'Don't say that, Draco,' Luna said serenely. "'You're the person most qualified to do blood magic that I know.' Draco was startled into a laugh, but she looked completely serious. "'Um—' Thanks, I, I guess. I want to help, Luna said brightly, as he'd known she would. She'd been trying to get included in making the wolf's bane since she'd found out. Maybe she saw this as an extension of the illicit potions work, and this as her chance to get in on the action. Luna, Draco began, it's, it's too dangerous. Didn't you tell me once? Luna said her large blue eyes focusing on him meaningfully, that I could climb down into hell and come back unscathed. I more meant, um, actually your... your moral fibre, but... Draco tried half-heartedly. He spent a few more minutes trying to scare Luna off. She didn't give in, so eventually he did, as he'd known he would. He spent longer swearing her to secrecy, in all kinds of differently-worded promises, which he lied and told her were magically bonding. She looked so unperturbed by that, even by her standards, that it seemed she really did have no intention of ratting him out. Eventually, they split the work of checking the potion together, and she declared herself RSVP'd formally for the blood ritual. "'It's wonderful we have all the ingredients,' Luna said after inspecting his cabinet. "'Well,' "'Almost all. How are you going to get Harry's possession and his blood?' "'Possession? I already have,' Draco said, thinking of the Gryffindor tie. "'No worries about that. The blood, well, I have a plan for that, too.' "'How are we going to rob Harry Potter of his blood?' she asked chippily. "'Will you bite his neck too hard, giving him a hickey?' "'What? No, Luna!' "'Why would you even think of that? That's disturbing!' Draco exclaimed, though he could feel his face go hot. "'We've been practising dueling together, remember? Why do you think I agreed to that? I'll draw blood in one of our duels when I need it!' "'Oh!' Luna said, looking unimpressed. "'I think my way would be much easier. Or you could just ask him for his blood.' He'd probably just give it to you, even if you didn't explain. He would not, Draco insisted, only for Luna to turn her gleaming eyes on him more squarely. She looked him over thoughtfully, as if evaluating the worth of the product on offer. Hmm, Luna said. Well, I don't know about the blood, but it would be useful if he could lend us the invisibility cloak for a while, like with the Marauder's ma." I bet he would do that for you. He wouldn't, Draco said with almost more certainty. Definitely not without a reason, and we can't use wolf's bay making as a pretext after this long. That's one of the few things he has passed down from his parents. He would definitely give you the cloak, Luna said with a smile. Indefinitely, without explaining. All you'd have to do is ask, oh, and maybe flirt a little. Baby. Luna Elizabeth Lovegood, Draco said with a heavy sigh, "The day has come when I have to admit it. It's finally happened. My sweet, innocent little cousin is gone. I've corrupted you irreparably." Luna giggled. So what does that make me now? Dangerous. Yeah, Draco said with a slow smile. "'Yeah, Luna, I think you can grow up to be dangerous.' Then his smile faltered, as he remembered when he'd cast Protego Diabolica, and the sight of Harry Potter walking into blue fire once again filled his chest with an acidic, rueful sort of pain. "'But you know, you'll never be as dangerous as me.' "'Dear Dragonface,' So, you've taken up teaching Harry some dueling, huh? We'll see if you have a teacher's temperament, but you certainly have the skill. If I hadn't been an animagus, the one time we dueled you'd sure have given me a run for my money. I'm pleased to hear you found the textbook we gave you useful. I used that textbook myself, when I spent miserable summers in empty rooms at Grimald Place, practising every spell I could think of to try and get stronger. Sometimes it was my only consolation that even if my family didn't believe what I did and probably never would, that at least I could do a spell right. And I would do even the hardest ones over and over until I managed. The summer before fourth year, I spent an entire month practising the disillusionment charm before I could get it right. Keep in mind, though, that while repetition can be useful, it's also important to make it fun. Harry has a pretty short attention span, I've come to realise, and you can be a little bit of a sourpuss. Please don't take your godfather as an educational model. Not saying anything against my personal saviour Severus Snape, believe me, but I think Harry would respond better with a little less stick and a little more carrot. These lessons will certainly serve him well if our suspicions prove true about Karkaroth. I'm glad Harry has you around him, to protect him if he needs it, and to guide him to become a stronger wizard. You're lucky too, Draco. It's rare for there to be one wizard your age with as much raw magical power and talent as you have, let alone two. Harry being there will help you, push yourself in ways you couldn't without him. The two of you compliment each other perfectly. So, take care of my godson, and no dueling accidents, and don't let Harry talk you into anything stupid. Sincerely, your grim-faced uncle. P.S. I really can't thank you and Hermione enough for the wolfsbane potion. Remus feels the same. We both feel ten years younger not having had to kick the shit out of each other. Frank Merlin, my clever nephew, has such clever friends. (coughs) Don't let Harry talk you into anything stupid. Too late for that. No dueling accidents. Draco was entering that night's deal with the express intent of causing one. Whatever would be enough to make Harry bleed copiously, and be too out of it to realise Draco had taken his blood and stored it, "'in a small opaque black vial he had ready in his pocket. "'A little less stick and a little more carrot, huh? "'That Draco could do. "'What counted as carrot? "'Smiling? "'Compliments? "'Sometimes he had to remind himself that Harry had feelings for him. "'Major feelings, as proven by the second task, "'and that gave him power over Harry.' He was so used to thinking of himself as having no effect on Harry at all, of always being the one wanting more. But apparently his words, his smile, his touch, were things that Harry must covet, must even dream about, fantasise about when he... It was good that Harry arrived then right at eight o'clock sharp like a good boy. He'd learned the hard way that Draco turned over the hourglass right at eight, whether or not he was late. He'd also learned a thing or two about handling Draco. By the time the first hour had elapsed, Draco was beginning to despair of drawing blood after all, or rather, drawing Harry's blood. It didn't seem unlikely for his to be shed before they left the room of requirement, given how thoroughly Harry was battering him. Draco's shields had once withstood twenty grown wizards at once, but they seemed to snap with alarming regularity against an excited Harry Potter. "'How are you this strong?' Draco complained. "'Harry had gotten the nerve of DuPolso quickly "'and made short work dragging dummies all over the room. "'Iverte Statum had now proved his excuse to do the same to Draco. "'After half an hour of it, "'even the strongest of Draco's shields couldn't keep Harry "'from driving him back a metre or two with Iverte Statum. "'Most of the time he just went crashing into a wall.' It hadn't helped that Harry hadn't wanted to learn Defindo of all the idiotic things, saying he had no intention to cut anyone's skin. Draco had tried to tell him it was useful for more than just dueling, but Draco's example of cutting potions ingredients had hardly been well calculated to increase his enthusiasm. Harry had insisted he could learn Defindo in a class and wanted to focus on dueling— and so Draco had hit the wall a fair number of times. The frustrating part was that Harry overestimated him, claiming Draco was letting him on purpose, just holding back like he always did in their duels. "'Come on,' Harry whined. "'I know you can do better than that. "'I saw that hellfire you made before. "'Will you just duel with me for real for once? "'We've had two formal duels, and I know you've held back both times. "'Well,' The second got cancelled because you caused a riot, but still. You want to duel me for real, Harry? Draco snapped, losing his patience. And he did have the justification how much easier that would make it to get at that sweet saviour blood. Fine. You asked for it, I warned you. But I won't be held accountable for any damages. Or death. Shouldn't that be my line? Harry joked. And Draco levelled him with a glare. Clearly, I have been going easy on you, Draco said disbelievingly. If you really think this is like Quidditch, and you being naturally good could be enough to surpass my level of experience over you. You have got an arrogant Harry Potter, and I think I'm just the right person to teach you a lesson. Go ahead, Harry said, face lighting up. Do it, Draco. Go ahead and try it. Teach me a lesson and see who gets bloody taught. Okay, Draco said. Duel. Turn your back. Three steps back. One, two, three steps. Okay. On the count of three. One, two, three. Protego. Seriously, will you always just start with Expelliarmus? I know it's like your own signature spell, but... If this was a real duel, Harry yelled, would you be complaining so much? Maybe, Draco shouted, focusing intently on that potent figure behind a wall of spreading red light. Fumas! He took himself and his shield out of the reach of Harry's spell, only for Harry to shout Meteor Ricanto" Recanto and aim another Expelliarmus at the same place. Of course, Draco was no longer there. "'Ventus!' Draco yelled, and had the satisfaction of watching Harry be the one thrown up hard against the wall for once. "'Flipendo!' he shouted, and Harry whirled about in the air. He laughed and saw Harry's face grimace in mid-air. "'A pugno!' Harry shouted, and suddenly, improbably enough, Draco had to deal with the one other object in the room, the glass observation cage, attacking him. Expelliarmus! Harry shouted, ganging up on him along with the rolling cage, and the red light hit the top of the glass and exploded it over Draco as he ducked. Protego! Draco called Finestra! The glass cage exploded out towards Harry. So Draco reflexively cast Ninguiforce to make the glass turn to snow before it could hit him. He heard Harry gasp and stare, and gasp again, when Draco used Ninguiforce again, a spell he hadn't taught Harry, to turn the rest of the glass to glistening snowflakes. "'Ventus!' Draco yelled, and sent the snow flying in Harry's face. "'Aqua Eructo Duo! Glacius!' stream of water joined the flying ice crystals, battering Harry against the wall, and then Draco froze the stream, wide enough to hold him in place, only for Harry to shout, Reducto, and come striding out of his ice prison like some conquering god, robes billowing behind him in the snow-filled wind that still surrounded him. There were snowflakes caught in his thick, dark hair. Verte statum, he called, And Draco's protego held, but it forced him all the way back to his own wall, with Harry striding determinedly forward. Time to end this. Draco was hardly asserting his dominance here, let alone getting any closer to drawing blood. Borbilius! Draco yelled, striking the ceiling of the practice room and hard black stone came crashing down onto Harry. He shielded some of it, but some hit him and he crumpled to the floor. It was Draco's turn to advance, casting Orchidius and then Herbivicus to make flowers grow from the stones. He felt his heart jump when he saw one of the stones that struck Harry's head had given it a bleeding gash. What a sterling person for that to make him so happy. Herbivicus, he kept casting, using the vines like ropes, as he had in his assessment with Periander as relatively weak as his earth magic was. Harry hadn't expected it, and it slackened his grip on his wand enough for Draco to easily disarm him, before tightening the thornless roses even more around Harry's body, where, Draco had to admit, in the not-quite-so-bloodthirsty part of his mind, Harry did make a picture, tied up in rubble, trapped in a thicket of white roses. "'You wanted me to treat this as a real duel, huh?' Draco drawled, and Harry nodded stubbornly, making a valiant attempt to escape the vines. He did get one wrist free, and that was the excuse Draco needed to call out, "'Stupefy!' Harry crumpled to the ground, stunned, and Draco immediately knelt beside him, hands almost shaking in his anxiety to get out the little vial, "'and fill it with Harry's blood. "'He found there was more than enough gushing "'from that one gash on Harry's head from the stones "'to fill the vial. "'He couldn't have planned it any better if he'd tried. "'He had a deep satisfaction as he pocketed it, "'feeling like, for the first time in his life, "'he'd genuinely gotten the better of Harry Potter, "'even if it was all still an attempt to save Harry's life. Enervate, Draco called and Harry winced, eyes blinking slowly open. Draco took him to Severus to heal his wounds, making Severus's month to witness Harry in such bleeding and bleary disarray at the hands of his godson, and that was that. It was done, with Harry none the wiser. Luna had always had more artistic talent than him. He let her look over every picture they could find in the library of the Wheel of Hecate, then design their own one for them, with intricate coils of the snakes that made up the labyrinthine circle. Luna brightly suggested that if Draco ever wanted to make her another piece of jewellery, he could use it as a design, a reminder, of one of their fun cousin memories together. And it was more fun than it should have been, finding themselves in a place in the Forbidden Forest the night before the ritual, and beginning to cast the spells to keep the area clear for them, with him and Luna both learning a few new ones from each other. Luna knew a number of things she rationally shouldn't at her age, without him ever having to teach her. It gave him more respect for Xenophilius Lovegood, if it wasn't more that Tom Riddle had rubbed off on her. It became less fun on the actual night, when all of Luna's confidence seemed to fall away and leave Draco the one to drive them forward. She was less sure, retracing her design for Hecate's wheel at midnight, and stepped back and let Draco be the one to carve the shape firmly into the dirt. What if it's the wrong size? she fretted. The star is supposed to fit all of the ingredients inside, Draco reasoned out. So, since our star is definitely big enough, then the circle should be big enough too. But what if it's too big? She persisted. Draco pocketed his wand and hugged her. Luna? Draco coaxed her. It isn't too late to back out, you know. I can do this part all by myself. You can help me finish the potion part later. No, it's just... Luna chewed on her lower lip. I don't want something I did to be the reason that this doesn't work and you get hurt or Harry gets killed or... Welcome to my life, sweet cousin. Wonder why I have those panic attacks. Relax, Luna. I know what I'm doing. This isn't my first time doing a ritual like this. Really? Luna said, brightening. Will you tell me about it? Draco made a show of checking his watch, though they still had ample time. "'Once we're done, okay, Luna?' She nodded, looking reassured, and pulled out the sleeping beauty pendant from beneath her shirt and squeezed at the turquoise. "'For mental clarity?' "'Yes,' said Luna, taking a deep breath and kept her eyes closed. "'You know what I tell myself when I'm doubting myself at times like this,' Draco offered. "'You love your father a whole lot, don't you?' You're proud of him, proud to be his daughter. Oh, yes, I think he's the greatest man in the world, Luna said eagerly. No one cares more than him about uncovering knowledge and telling the truth, even to Poe. At times like this, you can tell yourself in your head, I'm Xenophilius Lovegood's daughter, that sort of thing helps me. But Luna looked unconvinced. Draco. She said hesitantly, "'Does it really help, reminding yourself that you're Lucius Malfoy's son?' "'No. I tell myself that I'm Severus Snape's godson, and that means I can do anything, Luna, especially with a blood potion that's just child's play. You shouldn't dare doubt us at a mystic potion when we're Xenophilius Lovegood's daughter and Severus Snape's godson.' Luna reached out and took his hand her palm had grown cold and a bit clammy from nerves likely as well as the crisp april night but he could feel resolution in her grip strengthening his own the moon came down heavily in the clearing they'd chosen a waxing moon that cast ample light down on luna and made her hair look like a great glimmering trail of moonstones and i could climb down into hell luna said firmly "'and climb out without a scratch on me.' "'Let's do this,' Draco said, and she nodded. "'We can set it all up before midnight, then. "'It's just the blood and the incantation that need to be exactly then. "'The cooled potion first. "'It says in the shape of the wheel's central star. "'Do you want me to pour it?' "'I'll do it,' said Luna. "'My hands aren't shaking any more.' and he waved his wand to intensify the blue flames he had, hovering around the surrounding trees, gorgeous non-burning bluebell flames that Hermione had taught him. Not that she would approve the use he was making of them, but hey, everyone was a critic. And Luna did a fine job by that lovely diabolica-coloured glow, and let it settle, before taking Harry's Gryffindor tie from him and setting it carefully in the middle of the star. It doesn't look like much, she said, frowning. "It said we'd have to wait for the burning to finish after the incantation, Draco said dryly, and I don't know what that means exactly, but I bet we're going to be getting more of a show. Should we cast the incantation together to make it stronger, Luna offered. Draco considered. I think I should cast it, so we don't have to worry about not being in sync, but if you hold my hand, maybe I can draw some on your magic too. Draco, Luna cried suddenly, it's eleven fifty-nine. Don't panic, Draco said, and pressed a button on the nice watch Potter had given him that read out the seconds, if you pressed it three times. Good for blood rituals and New Year's Eve parties. Listen, there it is. Forty three, forty four. He took out the vial of Harry's blood, unstoppering it carefully. Just as when he'd checked it earlier that day, it hadn't seemed to spoil or dry. The strong smell of iron merged with the murky, filthy smell of the mud like potion, and the earthy smell of the forest all around to fill his nose, overwhelming him. Thirty one, thirty he counted, and stepped carefully between two lines of the wheel right outside the star. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Luna stepped in another section beside him and then asked, Do you think this symbol has to do with the wheel of fate? We can talk about this later, Luna. Oh, sorry. Ten, nine, eight, Luna seized Draco's hand after he unstoppered the bottle. When the watch said one, Draco felt like a whole New Year's Eve worth of fireworks were going off in his head. There was that much light and sound and pressure embedded in the simple gesture of leaning forward, turning the vial upside down and letting the blood drip out. But he did it, and it wasn't anything that noteworthy in the end. No sizzling flames shooting up yet or demons crawling from the bowels of the underworld. Only an ugly lump of wet things that held the fate of Harry Potter in its star-shaped mess. Draco drew his wand, took Luna's hand, and began the star and circle-shaped wand motions. Now, Frege Captivare! Now, Frege Captivare! Now, Frege Captivare! And they were in a sea of blue fire. If Draco had wondered what it had looked like for Harry, passing through the flame of Protego Diabolica, it could have been like that. His vision went so white he thought he had passed out, before a flickering and a pulsation of heat haze made him realise it was just a very bright flame. He might have dropped Luna's hand, but her grip was so tight. He heard her gasp but not scream, though he had screamed. At least the fire wasn't burning them. He could feel its fingers sliding through him, the way you could feel a ghost's body disappearing through you, except there was nothing slimy or cold to it. It felt like a lover's embrace, uninvited in the night. The flickering tendrils wrapped around his ankles, and the thought of them stroking over Luna's bare calves made him almost sick. But he told himself if anything was dangerous, the book would have said. Close your eyes, Draco called. I feel like I'm going to go blind. And Luna made a sound of agreement. If you were supposed to stay silent during the flame wall, well, looked like he'd just fucked up the ritual. But he didn't want Luna's eyes burning out on this caressing ice fire. When the bright light turned his eyelids, orange-red neon seemed to pulsate less brightly, long enough that later on he and Luna had both soaked each other's palms in cold sweat. Draco opened his eyes. With the flames died down some, Draco could lean forward and see the shape of the burning potion and tie, crumbling together in a single mass of conflagration that would in time turn to ash. And then Draco wished he hadn't opened his eyes, because from the crumbling black shape a light was rising, a purer silver without the poison blue of the flames around it. The wisps of light danced around the circle, as if blown in their own separate wind, and then the flames were crowding on them, forcing them together in the form of a stag. The stag writhed in its prison, trying to gallop away, the flames advancing on it like heads of the dragons in fiend fire. The stag bucked its head, hind legs convulsing, but it was driven down at last until it was crouching over the black burning heap almost protectively, like some guardian sentinel about to be slain. And then the flames all fell upon it at once, and the stag seeped into the burning coals illuminating them a brilliant silver. Draco blinked hard against that brilliance, but it only took a moment for the flames to all turn silver in turn, then pure white and then go out at the same time, leaving the only light blue again. The bluebell flames had stayed up high in their trees, looking down untouched. They illuminated a thick, murky mass of charcoal-gray ash-like quicksand, painted on the lighter brown dirt in the perfect shape of the star Luna had drawn. Draco, can I open my eyes? You let go of my hand. Sorry, Draco said. Yeah, open them and was pathetically grateful that Luna wouldn't have seen the stag. It had given him the feeling he was doing something wrong, not just in a moral sense, but in a purer way, wrong as in against the laws of nature and magic, a perversion he had felt in the tongues of the flame. But hey, maybe that was the demon goddess Hecate's calling card. "'It's in a star!' Luna exclaimed, and clapped her hands together. "'Oh, Draco, it means this part must have worked.' "'We're not done yet,' Draco said wearily. "'We have to take it, and any dirt that clings to it, and get the final potion brewing.' But, compared to the ritual, he could have done the final bits of the potion in his sleep, especially when Luna was kind enough to go be the one to gather water from Hagrid's well to fill up the cauldron.' They'd already turned the wings to powder and the quicksilver, and it wasn't long before Luna was dropping in the last three pomegranate seeds. One, two, three. And then Draco was turning on the flame. The now-retired Grigorovitch responded fairly quickly to Theo's letter, even all the way from Germany. Maybe that was because he wanted nothing to do with it. Knowing what Draco knew of the man's impending fate, Draco could only praise his misplaced optimism. It wasn't Grindelwald himself to bring the wand to him. Theo explained. It was a beautiful young woman with dark and wavy hair. Good to know. My Aunt Bella wasn't born yet. Draco quipped. Named Gretchen. Theo continued. With threats of a benefactor behind her who would not take kindly to a refusal, despite the condition of the materials she presented him. Apparently, when he first refused her, there was a fire in his shop that night. A fire that targeted only memorabilia from the shop bearing his name. Rather eloquent, as threats go, I think. The next morning, when she returned, he agreed to make the wands. Later, he would see this lovely young Miss Gretchen in in the papers as an accomplice of Grindelwald during his rise to power. "'Hmm?' Draco yawned, ignoring the early spring weather as he lulled back across the courtyard grass. His indolence seemed to annoy Theo. I'm sorry, is this boring you? Theo lowered his voice, after what Periander said. I thought you'd understand how much was at stake for you in this. I'll try and keep it quick for you then. I'm just tired, Draco said, yawning again. Now, Phragium was virtually a full-time job. He made four wands. The first was requested to be of elderwood, but when that proved ineffective, he made three more with different woods. She took each off in turn and told him they had failed to respond whatsoever to her benefactor. It was the same for her and for Grigorovich. After the fourth was made of walnut, there was no material left. So Grigorovitch suggested the core was simply too degraded to be functional and suggested the ones be destroyed. Draco struggled to rouse enthusiasm in himself. But what? He lied to the intermediary and Grindelwald and sent the ones to Ollivander himself? No, Theo said, and prodded at his side with his foot. With difficulty, Draco roused himself to a sitting position. Grindelwald insisted through his messenger that the wands not be destroyed. So Grigorovitch sent them off to Ollivander's father, rather than keep them himself and have to possibly deal with that lot again. I don't think today's Ollivander even realised it wasn't his father who made them, but I'll write again to Ollivander to confirm. And what? They all lay around for decades, until one happened into the hands of my charming aunt. We only know of the wand responding to you and her. Theo theorised. So there could be a commonality, obviously, of-, of House Black Blood. It seems to have more dramatic effects with you than her, but it's still two members of your house. If there was some relation to the initial incident of Astaroth. "'I'm not interested in that,' Draco groaned. "'I don't care why it's me the wand chose, "'and I don't think it's the history. "'You're the one who wanted to look into it, "'but I've told you from the start. "'It's some ritual my aunt did that tainted it. "'Maybe the wand, having this messed-up past, "'just made it more rife for, I don't know, contamination, "'but that doesn't matter either.' "'It's just a question of what's going to happen to me when I keep using it.' "'When you keep using it?' Theo echoed. "'So you're just going to keep on with it?' Draco lay back down, earning a rare Hermione-like huff from Theo. He folded his hands behind his head and stared up at the sky, where some high breeze had the clouds virtually racing across the deep blue. "'What choice do I have? If it's that—' or being a squib. He wondered how much Theo knew of the Dark Lord's plans on the horizon, if it was like the Blue Loop, little or none. Theo had so often preferred books to people, especially if those people carried news of a reality he thought he could safely insulate him from. If you hadn't, burned the bridge with periander, but that's done, so we'll write to Olivander. Theo persisted. And look into more rituals your aunt might. "'I don't have the time right now,' Draco sighed. "'I think we've hit a dead end, but I'll try and do some more research over the summer.' "'You've had your flying sessions taken away,' Theo said suspiciously. "'What has you so busy? Is it helping Potter with the Triwizard Tournament?' "'It was annoying to have to admit the dueling lessons, but preferable to suspicion about, say, secret potions.' So Draco explained their lessons to Theo, who could not have been more unimpressed. He kept nagging, to the point where Draco called him a Hufflepuff, at which point Theo lay down beside Draco to fix those sharp blue eyes on him, full of unusual disquiet. "'You're the one who's not acting like a Slytherin?' Theo insisted. "'What are your priorities, Draco?' "'Anything could happen to you, but what? Potter's more important than that.' Draco shrugged laconically. Salazar, Draco. Self-sacrifice doesn't suit you. Martyrdom is a Malfoy. It's not that, Draco said, irritated into full awareness. I'm not trying to be noble. I really just don't care. You don't care what happens to you? I don't, Theo. I don't care. Is that clear enough for you? "'You asked for my help, though.' "'Theo persisted. "'You did want to try and fix this before.' "'But maybe there is no fixing it,' Draco said calmly. "'The concern was gratifying, "'but it felt like Theo was speaking to him from across a divide, "'some fissure that was only cracking wider. "'If my want has doomed me, Theo, well, I was doomed already. "'So dramatic. "'And what if it makes you hurt someone else?' "'I know, to be careful,' Draco said defensively. "'I wouldn't let it. "'I'd take myself out of the equation before that ever happened. "'You can keep the Grindelwald book, if that's what,' Draco. "'Theo said and grabbed him by the wrist. "'Draco shook him off, meeting his gaze with a cold feeling in his gut, "'like the winter was reversing and coming back. "'And it wasn't just an illusion. "'The wind had picked up. You've got people who depend on you, don't you? Your cousin, the Gryffindors, your godfather. And that, Draco said, pouncing on his words, is why I can't lose my magic. So I can be of use to them. Even if I could change the Talon Wand for another, I wouldn't. Because it makes me more powerful. Theo, don't you get it? "'I know what it's like to be powerless. "'I'm not going there again.' "'He could hear the intensity in his voice and fought to pull it back. "'It helped keep Theo's sense and thoughtfulness and blue eyes far away. "'My father told me once. "'Theo said not backing down, "'that when wielded incorrectly, "'having power is worse than being powerless. "'What do you think I'm going to do, Theo?' Draco scoffed. Go mad and murder you in my sleep. I'm not scared of you. I'm scared for you. Just be careful. Theo said, finally getting up. His frame blocked the chill of the wind for that moment. Be careful, Draco. That's all I ask. Just remember that there will always be things you don't know. Okay, Draco said, throat tight. And Theo nodded. Before walking away, and leaving him to the full force of the wind again. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Wheel of Hecate, part four of the Mirror of Isidiru series by Star Bridget.